The scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 13. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God always blesses the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Gracious God, as we enter into the Lenten season, we take stock of our need for you, our desperation in every way, our need to be saved in every way that we can be saved. Meet us this morning. Draw us to yourself. Draw us into your mission your tenacity for the world, your indefatigable grace even unto death. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our heart be pure and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, for the last seven weeks, we've been looking at our essential tenets of our denomination, core beliefs, of the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, ECO for short. And these include that we have a God who speaks in Holy Scripture, a God who is made up of a unity within relationships as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God who pours out that unity in relationships toward us by becoming flesh in Jesus Christ, the God who saves us, remakes us, by and in and through his grace in Jesus Christ. God who chooses us before we can take any step toward him. God who gathers us as his people, his church, his plan for reaching the world. And a God who claims every part of our lives as hallowed ground on which he can be glorified. These are our, our, what we distilled as our as seven essential tenets scripture trinity incarnation salvation rescue election church and whole life stewardship this this is what gives life and meaning to discipleship our learning in Christ our denomination sums it up nicely on its letterhead where we read under eco Building flourishing churches that make disciples of Christ. Building flourishing churches that make disciples of Christ. As we turn now into Lent, it's a good time to take stock and say, okay, moving out of all those beautiful truths of who God is and what God has done for us, 
and that call to be learners and to be transformed in that, what gets in the way? What prevents us from flourishing? As we head into springtime, not only do we have allergies, as I'm experiencing right now with the tree pollen, high pollen counts, all those wonderful trees coming out. If you've ever done yard work, you also know we will have weeds. If you want to try to grow a healthy garden or flower bed, you know that weeding is essential. You got to do it. Got to get the weeds out of the way and the rocks too. And you know, if you've done this, how fast weeds grow back, especially if you get a lot of rain after you pull them. It is amazing. Oh, I just weeded that. Look at that over there. If you want to see progress in gardening, if you want to see progress in flower beds, you got to keep after it. So it goes with discipleship. To flourish, to thrive, to grow, we need to keep after it. And we say we keep after him because we've now established in our essential tenets all that God has done for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We come into communion with the triune God of grace. Now in light of that, how do we avail ourselves to all that he is and all that he has for us? Well, this question is going to guide our journey through Lent. And we're going to frame it as our question of what gets in the way of my flourishing? How do I need to repent toward flourishing? In other words, what do I need to turn away from to turn toward Christ to receive all that he has? Or what do I need to weed out and plant? Our first chapter in this time of reflection in Lent is this Luke 13. Jesus has been calling people to repentance in the recent chapter, previously to this. He's been healing. He's been teaching about the small but mighty nature of seeds of the kingdom of God. Starts small, gets bigger than you can imagine. Then he warns people just prior to the passage we just read, he warns people That not all who seek to enter the kingdom and who seek to enter into the salvation house will be able to do so. Not everyone who thinks they are in are actually indeed in. And Jesus warns that the owner, in the previous section before this passage, he warns that the owner of the house, when certain people knock, he will say, I don't know you. Or where you come from. Away from me all you evildoers. Here then we are told of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Language language describing judgment and torment. This is how Luke flips the script. It's called the great or the kingdom reversals in Luke. What you think is really isn't. It's the opposite. God flips it around. But then our Lord comments right before this passage. He says, people will come from east and west and north and south. And they'll take their places at the feast of the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And the first who will be last. See, there's a flip there. 
kingdom reversals. And Jesus here is about to come into Jerusalem where he will die on the cross to affect those reversals. And then we get the beginning of our passage today. Verse 31. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So the Pharisees are actually seeming to try to help Jesus here. Scholars debate this, whether or not they're trying to help him. You know, in Luke, the Pharisees are not unrelentingly hostile to Jesus. Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to a party, Luke 7. Interesting things happen at at that house. It's not all negative, but some scholars still see the Pharisees more negatively here. Perhaps there's ambiguity in terms of the motive, but the advice is not ambiguous at all. The Pharisees tell Jesus, hey, don't go there. They're talking about Jerusalem because they know what awaits. Well, you might sense in your own life an opportunity from God. You know, maybe to hang out with someone unpopular in your school or in your neighborhood or in a work setting. And then someone tells you, hey, don't go there. Don't hang out with them. It'll kill your standing in the group. Or you might sense a call from God to push back against the ways some of your friends demonize those who see the world differently than they do. And then someone tells you, hey, don't stand up for that person. You'll pay the cost of losing your reputation within the group. Or or you might sense a chance from God to give some time to invest in someone's life by giving your time. Your talent, your treasure. And then someone may tell you, hey man, think twice. If you do that, it may not work out. This person, you know, they're a little shifty. They're, a little, they're not going to stick with it anyway. Jesus is the only savior of the world. We're not saviors. But following Jesus into the salvation he gives us will mean heading into our own Jerusalems. You know, places we're told, don't go there. Don't go there. Protect yourself. He will call us to take up our crosses. And people will warn us against that. Because the cross is not always very practical. (laughs) And it may feel far from the path of success. As we think of success. But it's Jesus' way. So for our Lenten practice... As we think about what it means to flourish in Jesus Christ. Here we have a call to repentance. In what Jesus is told and what he, how he responds. We have to repent first of taking detours around the cross. We have to repent of avoiding the hard stuff. What hard stuff is Jesus calling you and me to that some voices would say, no, don't go there. Just just don't go there. Whatever their motives, like the Pharisees, they may be ambiguous. And Jesus is actually leading us exactly to that place because that's what he's about. Well, that's our first repentance. Repent 
of avoiding the cross, repent of avoiding the hard stuff. Because in order to flourish, we have to deal with the hard stuff. God will take us into the hard stuff. Next, in order to flourish, we need to repent of distractions. Flourishing people, we don't take up our crosses just for the sake of struggle itself. But we take up our crosses out of commitment to the ministry of Jesus Christ. In response is commitment to us. Jesus tells us here what his ministry is. As the Pharisees are trying to say to him, don't go there, don't go to Jerusalem, don't do that. Herod's going to be down your neck. He then says, hey, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. Right at the beginning of his ministry, after being tempted, Jesus hits evil spirits. Luke 4, right away, right? He gets tempted, sent out, and then bam. He runs into evil spirits, and he does healings. And this repeats in chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9 of Luke's gospel. Well, there's more that he does too, besides the the healings and the driving out demons that's referenced here. He also feeds, he forgives, he teaches, he challenges people, he visits with lots of different people, he sends out people in his name. Our kids were playing video games, and I heard dialogue on the video. It was a battle scene in a video game. And one of the battling soldiers said, what's the plan? And then I heard the answer, wherever he goes, we follow. (laughs) That is it for us. We know where he went. We know where Jesus went. We know what he did. And as we follow him, as we live in him, as we press on in his ministry... He will lead us to the same. And here we get a snapshot in how he summarizes it. Healing and confronting darkness. So it's not a a bad idea to ask, where in my life do I need Jesus' healing in order to flourish? And where in my life do I need Jesus to confront my darkness either in or around me, in order to flourish. This is what he does. He heals and he confronts darkness. And as he presses on and presses into us, he pushes us outward to do the same. And we find ourselves out there and needing to ask, where do the people around me need Jesus' healing in order to flourish? And where do I need to confront the darkness in the world around me and in the people around me in order to flourish, in order to help the world to flourish? As we do so, be assured, we will flourish. And others will as well. God will use us to heal and push back darkness. It's little stuff. I'm so proud of of our daughter, Grace, who... Um, you know, they, kids in middle school vaping and she, she tells her friends, Hey, don't do that. What are you doing that for? Don't do that. It's bad for you. I'm proud of her. A little thing, but pushing back that darkness. And some of her friends probably listen and some of them don't. 
And that is how it is, right? God will use us to push back the darkness and God will use us to bring healing. But our hearts will also be broken. Our Lord's was. Read on here. Verse 34. Our Lord says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Scholar Dale Brock describes it this way. This is Jesus' lament. The emotion and pain of his declaration is noted from the start with this double address. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. We probably all have people like that in our life, right? We can think about whether it's a person or a location or a place. Insert into that space. Who do you, who is your Jerusalem who you lament for? Dr. Bach continues, Jesus has longed to care for and protect Jerusalem as a hen cares for her chicks. Is there, is there a more tender image than this? However, the chicks did not want to stay in the nest. It turns out, ministry will break your heart. In moving with Jesus, we will at some point find ourselves lamenting. I think when Paul writes about the fellowship of Christ's sufferings in Philippians 3.10, I think this is included. What is striking to me here is the proximity between his longing and their wronging, right? Our Lord is still tender toward those who have terribly misbehaved. And it's easy to miss this step and just turn on people who turn against God and who turn against God's representatives. But our Lord manages to hold these together, describing Jerusalem's rebellion and and still expressing his longing to hold them. Here's a call to repent from our judgment to repent from our judgment of the world and instead practice lament for it. This is who Jesus is. And as we live in union with him, it's who he will make us to be. He said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. But as we see here, some will say no, some will not come. And that's a mystery we can't resolve. We can only lament and keep trying with Jesus and in Jesus. And as we flourish in Christ... We will flourish in Christ in our lament because as we lament, we access Jesus' heart. It's that great line, that that great line from Paul Bettany's character vision in the wonderful little Marvel miniseries called WandaVision where Wanda's the character who actually is grieving over the loss of her husband Vision and so she's this gifted, supernaturally gifted uh, Marvel Universe uh, Superwoman character who has these powers that she creates this world where she includes him back, but it's actually kind of a fake world and, and it kind of breaks apart. You have to watch to see. But the whole projection, the whole thing that she's doing there is a result of her pain, right, over losing him. It's quite profound. And at some point, the kind of the resurrected vision, that the, her beloved uh, husband in this character named Vision says to Wanda, what is grief 
but love persevering. What is grief but love persevering? Great line. What was Christ's lament over Jerusalem but his love persevering for them? And as we let that love live in us and live in that lament, we'll find that Christ's persevering love grows in us and will flourish in that. Flourishing doesn't always look like success. <laughs> flourishing can also be flourishing in Christ's lamenting heart. That's our own growing. We're growing in Christ. That's the flourishing. We let the person of Christ define our flourishing, not just our ideas of what success is. So sometimes to flourish means to lament together. And through it all, we trust God. We trust in God's timing more than we trust in our assessment of what is or isn't happening or what is and isn't effective. Our number one goal in ministry with Christ is not to be effective or successful. Our number one goal is to be faithful to our Heavenly Father and to live in trusting abandon to Him and His timetable. That's what Jesus is about here. In the face of this formidable foe and this Herod figure, He doesn't let that threat set the, set the parameters. Again, scholar Dale Bach puts it this way. We often treat the battles in our society as life and death matters, where we must win from the standpoint of appearance or all is lost for righteousness sake. But Jesus' death has already brought the way to life, regardless of the specific environment in which rests the function. Victory is ours, no matter what happens in the world. The point is important, not as an excuse to withdraw from engagement in society, but to encourage that engagement with the right perspective. Victory comes in faithfully representing him. Not in winning an argument or vote, Dr. Bach says. Jesus' own life is the model here. No level of intimidation or rejection could keep him from completing his appointed rounds. He is abandoned in that language of press on today, the next day, and on the third day. He, and it's a major theme in Luke, he is abandoned and trusting to the Father's timetable. When you know the outcome, that frees you to live. And so we repent of our distractions. We repent of our avoiding the cross. And we repent of judgment and instead we lament in Christ when it's called for. And as we do so, we will flourish in Jesus' name. May it be so for you and for me every day, come what may. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen.